This is Danny Ray Clark, and you're listening to the Cloud Watcher Uno podcast. Well, ain't it convenient that you need it? Someone to keep you from being alone. Well, ain't it lucky? somewhere to go well I know you want it You were the only one 
Tony Ray Clark. Welcome to the Cloud Watcher Uno podcast. Thank you. I'm happy to be here. Excellent. Um, first of all, I'd like to say I'm a big fan. <laughs> Love your music. Uh, absolutely obsessed by all the videos that are the, out there of you and your songs and you collaborating with everyone. Um, I know you've got a great EEP notes on a crisis. Um, that's fantastic. Um, but, but for me, I think the draw is seeing you on screen and it looks like I've been transported to a different world. <clears throat> that's how so what, what do you mean? Like right now, right here, right now? No, through your videos. So, so for example, convenient. So, so I actually feel like I'm there when, when you're actually playing the song and you're actually singing your song. So, so it's great. Thank you. Um, yeah, my friend Max Harms in, uh, in Arizona, he makes those videos and he's an amazing, uh, an amazing producer and videographer. And that's where we did that ain't convenient video. Yeah. And um, how long has it been since you've been in Nash in Nashville? Well, um, I've been coming in and out of Nashville for a while, um, but I and I lived here a couple years ago, not for very long, um, and I just moved back. Um, in June, but I'm originally from Vancouver, Canada. And um, I keep, yeah, I would go on tour. I usually go on tour at least once a year, um, but I would always end up passing through Nashville and just falling further in love with it. And then um, spent a long time being like, I'm moving to Nashville, I'm moving to Nashville, but it just became a really redundant thing that I said for a long time. Um, it was actually in the pandemic that, um, because I, I have dual citizen and I was able to cross the border. I don't know if you know this, but the Canadian and US border was closed. Ooh. Um, a lot of borders were closed, but you couldn't drive. It was actually just the land border. You could fly back and forth if you wanted to, but you couldn't drive. And um, I have a dog. Uh, so driving is, I drive, you know, um, and, but I'm American. So I was able to cross over and I was just coming down to visit my grandma, um, and ended up just saying like, to hell with it. I'm, I'm moving to Nashville and the border was, um, like I could cross over, but it was just a big, it was a really big hassle. There was a lot of really strict laws that were really scary um and kind of now that we know more about like i care about i do care a lot about covid safety but there was a there was a time there where there was some arbitrary kind of precautions um like you had to stay in a hotel for 10 days even if you lived within driving distance of the border and you could just go straight home and be isolated you know you couldn't do that you had to stay in this hotel and it was a it was a really scary fine if you did if you got caught leaving the room and so, anyway so i i just moved to nashville i and um it was a it was a really like liberating 
moment because I just everything I could fit in my car. Yeah. That I kept, you know. And I just canceled everything all my plans and just drove. And I drive a very old pickup truck, so it goes very slowly. And <laughs> so I take back roads the whole way and uh took me about a month <laughs> to get there from from North Idaho. Wow, that's probably some kind of wrath, wrath code, though, right? Taking a month. Yeah, well, I I did a little. I drove to Tucson first. To be fair, oh. I took it. I took a long L rather than a straight line. Uh, yeah. No, uh, I have crossed the border from uh, the Canadian side to the American side. So I've gone gone to Bellingham. And, and I've gone through the actual bit. And going from Canada to America was fine, but coming back from America to Canada, the Canadian customs were mm -hmm. really, really, really diligent is the polite word that I can say. Yes, yeah. I was like, um, but you let me in <laughs> when I flew in. So why are you giving me grief when I'm trying to get back in? But just by road. Yeah, it's um, it's a big thing. Um, borders are a really big thing for a lot of people. I think that a lot of people don't like that. I interact with here in the U.S. don't realize how strict the northern border is, and um, especially for musicians, I think a lot of people don't realize that. Yeah it's actually illegal for Canadian musicians to play music in the United States. Um, and if they, this, they suspect you of, of being in a band, um, they can ban you for six years and they do it all the time. And a lot of uh, Canadian musicians I know are banned from the United States for attempting to cross with a banjo or whatever. Um, but I only got my citizenship a few years ago and um, uh, and I've, but I'm, my family is both in America and the, and Canada. So I have crossed back and forth a lot. And back when, you know, if you, I've just, in my experience, the poorer that you look at the border, like the poor tra transit that you are taking, the yeah. worse chance you have. So the worst way to cross the border is on a Greyhound bus. Yeah. Best way is on a plane but the worst way is on the Greyhound bus and there's nothing you can do to make them not find you incredibly sketchy. And I have tried everything. <laughs> I like dress super conservative. I get really high femme, you know, yeah. um, I make it as clear. I'm like, I am a heterosexual cisgendered woman on my way to visit my grandmother. You know, I ha have this whole thing. Yeah. And um uh but I remember one time I was crossing the border with a I shaved my head and they were really upset about that because um you know I was I'm because I'm queer and and like they just they hate everyone but I also I've had the Canadian border as well it's not just the United States border it's borders you know Canadian border I've had them search every page of my diary every pair of dirty underpants like i i've gotten down to where i'm just like please don't open that canister of film it is undeveloped film i swear to 
God, I'm not trafficking drugs across the border. Like, please don't open my film. Yeah. Multiple times, you know. And now that I have dual citizenship, it's it's a huge, it's just a huge privilege, and it's a totally different story. I I, re, I remember that um one 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 of the first times that that I did did the journey journey journey, I caught the bus, um to Seattle, and then I caught the Amtrak train because we were going to Los Angeles. But I don't remember them searching my passport though. Like I can't. I, I don't. It seems to escape my memory there. But I do know the last time that that I was there uh, in 2019, which is just before the pandemic. My cousin really, really hated the fact that he was taking me to Seattle because he had one one of those cards, which which meant that he was a frequent person. So so we could just. Go 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 in the into the fast lane, and then mm -hmm. come back out again. But he had to stop because I was a British person. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I one time I tried to I, I accidentally took my Czech passport when I was like I was like thirteen. I'm and I'm I'm Czech. How many passports do you have? I used to have two. Well, I have two. I think I have two. I lost my Czech passport. I think you have to renew it. If you don't renew it, you like lose your citizenship or something. It's, oh. it's kind of, it's, you don't just have to get a new passport. You have to reapply for citizenship. And I do not um, actually have any interest in moving back to Europe. Um, yeah. But um, I, yeah, I traveled, I came with my Czech passport and it was a, it was a big problem. And I was just, I would think I was 13. I just didn't know the, that it was going to be a problem. <laughs> yeah, but it was. Thank God music can actually travel without borders, though. Mm -hmm. And, you know, um, that's one, one thing that I found during the pandemic, because she was just in your house, you couldn't actually go out, so you could, you, you could escape, but it was through the power of music, though. Mm -hmm. And for me, listening to music, listening to your music, it gives me that escape. It takes takes me to a different time and place. Is it is there a particular sound that you're going for with your music? Um. Well, I definitely um. You know, I the music I listen to is I listen to a lot of really old country and folk and gospel and soul music. Um, I don't listen to a lot of music that is, you know. Of course, there's a lot of artists that I love, like contemporary artists, but I don't, I don't tend to listen to a lot of new music. Um, and that's sort of where... I guess that I, I, I learn, have learned that that is how to translate the thoughts and feelings into a sound. Um, but, um, I don't know. I'm not, I'm not really sure how to answer that question. I'm like, because when it comes to writing a song, I just, I really, I don't know how it happens. I don't know 
what it is. I don't know. I don't know. It's just, I think it's kind of like language. You know, we know how to, I know how to speak Mm. English because people spoke English around me and I live in a place where people speak English, but I, and so that's what I speak, you know, but I don't remember learning how to speak English. And I don't know how or why it will come like that uh, when a song happens, I just, I don't know what's happening. It just is. Does that make sense? It does. It, it does. I mean, I've, I've been interviewed a fair few, few artists and some are really gifted. They're, they're, they're able to actually, you know, they'll be able to like trans, translate the, the thoughts and the feelings that, that, that they have into their diaries or into their voices, voice notes. And others, they'll, they'll, they'll just do half of a melody on my phone and then they'll, then they'll go back to it mm-hmm. many, many, many years and they'll try to, try to go back to the same song and try to breathe life into it. And they'll be like, no, no, it's not happening. Then maybe on the sixth or seventh, seventh time, that's when 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 it clicks. That's mm-hmm. when 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 they've got their their song, and it's taken that that huge experience because I don't know. Some somehow they are free. They 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 are able to connect to to make those connections to make those lyrics breathe. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, and I think a lot of the time I will have a song and I don't know that it's necessarily finished. And and then um, if I'm able to show it to another artist who I would collaborate with um, or um, other musician friends that I have whose writing I appreciate, respect, and understand, um, then that's usually how I bring it to from being just like a jumbled, okay, I've got a couple chords and a couple lyrics down to this is a song now. <clears throat> and even sometimes it's just, it'll just be a word, you know, and I'll be like, this word should not be in here. Because um, one thing I feel really strongly about songs is that they shouldn't have filler, like filler lyrics. I'm, I care a lot more about lyrics than I do about the rest of it even though um i think that like musical melodies and harmonies are just as important it's just not my that's not my skill set yeah um and uh but i but i feel really strongly that if you have sorry i gotta let my dog out because she is needy um (laughs) (laughs) Um, sometimes an artist will have, whenever I hear a song and I hear a lyric in it that is lazy and, you know, it's just, it's just there because they needed something to rhyme. I can tell, you know, you can tell and it feels like it shouldn't be there. And I know that in the process of whenever I'm writing music, I will write that, those filler lyrics, I write like a skeleton of a song. And then... I'll have a word like, let's say it's like, I, and then I went to the store or whatever. And I'll be like, okay, that's obviously not going to be in the final cut. 
I'll have to change that and then figure out a different way of, of saying whatever it is that I'm trying to say. Um, but there's been times where it's just been like a word that I've been hanging on and I'm like, this song is not finished until this word is different. And then I show a friend and they'll be like, how about you just change it to the, you know, like um, there's a song from Helen High uh, uh, called Helen High Water on Notes in a Crisis. And I really liked that song. Um, and I couldn't, I was, but I was like, this is the cheesiest, cheesiest song I've ever heard until I played it for a friend of mine and she changed, she suggested that I changed the word my to the, and the whole thing was fixed. And then it was done. Wow. That's amazing. Uh, <laughs> when do you think fans uh, can hear a new album? Well, we are, um, I'm recording a new album, thank God, um, later this month, actually. Um, yeah, I'm going, we are about to leave on tour in a few days. And we are going from Nashville back to Arizona. And then um, in while we're in Arizona, we're going to be recording at our friend Max Harm's place. It's called The Garage. And I'm really like, I live in Nashville and I'm driving to Arizona to record an album. Like, it doesn't make that much sense. But um, <laughs> I just I just haven't worked with a producer that I have liked as much as I love Max. So, um I'm really excited about that. And then I also have a fuller band because, you know, Notes on a Crisis is a solo album. Yeah. And it's its own thing, but it's, that's just, that's not sort of really the performance that I have these days. I usually travel with uh, other artists. Yeah, for sure. I mean, I'm from, from that Eve's people how you come 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 across or for like uh, made made me a sin sin for example where mm -hmm. you're on stage but it's not just you it's you're you're there with your friends and your compatriots it's a it's a completely diff different experience this is almost like listening to two different artists thank you i'm so glad you saw that video i love that that was such a good night i also i i move around a lot so i have a i'll have a band over here and then like a band mates over here you know my bass player lives in arizona my, one of my vocalists or my like a vocalist from that um video you're talking about is coming down from canada to be on this record and um my partner she plays lap seal she's from nova scotia um and uh so i don't it's it's um my backup band is always like a lately it's been a lot of different people yeah. and i'm really grateful that that um that event and that group at that time was captured on video because that was an excellent show and they did an amazing job and for listeners who don't know what we're talking about it's just you know, we have one acapella song. Uh, it's called Make Me a Sinner, and it's about 
um, it's about, uh, how do I say this? Um, well, it's a queer love song, but it's specifically about the way that women's uh, sexuality and like girls' sexuality is really um, uh, like demonized. And, um, you know, there's this line, make me a monster. Um, and that is sort of, yeah, it's just about like if, you know, women expressing their sexuality outside of a very defined ladylike sex after marriage with only one man kind of thing is uh seen as like it, it's yeah like a monster that's what a monster would do and how the person who's singing the song is um like entering a queer is like trying to enter a queer relationship and leaving a world behind that would see her as a monster and knowing that there's nothing better than being than, than being in a gay relationship there's just i that's i mean that's how i feel i'm obviously like i wrote the song you know but it's amazing to hear the song acapella with a full choir and um it was really i wrote that song when i was driving through north carolina one day and you know passing a bunch of billboards of like very christian like pro-life confederate flag stuff like just feeling like oh shit i'm like the folks who make these billboards hate me you know and then i started and i was on my way to um see a, a sweetheart and i was so excited and i was like man i don't care what people think about me and what people think about this because nothing is better than like the love that i'm going to experience and I wouldn't trade anything for being queer and so but it was very like a kind of like a gospel sort of uh him inspired yeah. song so it's it's nice to hear it with a full chord it, I mean it's it's a it's a phenomenal vivid and I, I think it really truly really captures the experience and I would give anything to have been in that audience to, to have seen you sing that live. Thank you. That would, would have been, been amazing. I mean, life as an independent artist isn't easy at all. But has your sexuality just in, impacted on you being an independent artist as well? I don't know. I mean, I think that, no, I think that art has so many, there's just so many different ways to be an artist. And I also think that when it comes to art and artistic culture and worlds, it's pretty queer, you know, um, like artists and musicians are weirdos. So we don't tend to be like, no, you gotta be like this. You know, I did have a, a trouble, um, for a long time um playing music with men um because i i just i used to have a lot more trouble like relating to men and f being able to be uh like vulnerable and open 
um, with them, um, like, like cisgendered heterosexual men. And I think, you know, a lot of it is I grew up, um, you know, I was raised in two households and one of them was a lot of women who were really amazing and problematic in their own ways. And I love them and they like really raised me. And then I was also raised in a house with pretty much exclusively men who, um, you know, I have a really great relationship with some of them today. Um, but growing up, I was the only girl in the house and I was, you know, I was the only one that didn't speak Czech. I, they didn't teach me how to play guitar. They all play guitar and do a lot like hunt and like all these like things that are like not for women, not for girls. And so I was for a really long time, I felt very um, insecure about playing music around men. And I really didn't want to collaborate with them. Yeah. Um, and it took building relationships with men that I trusted and getting a lot more confident and just having a lot more practice. And um, now I don't really, uh, I don't think about that that much. I think about it more when I'm like, if I'm doing a lot, you know, being a musician takes a lot of you have to wear a lot of different hats you know as my friend Ramona Martinez says like she talks about all the hats that we wear um as a booker as a promoter as I have to make posters I have you know all this stuff um and managing a social freaking media putting all your stuff on Spotify like I pay someone to put my stuff on Spotify because I don't know how to use a computer and I'm not going to learn. I'm just not. Um, but I find when it comes, sometimes when I'm working with uh, other um, men and doing booking, you know, doing promotion, doing stuff like that, I then I get really focused on labor and like uh, this, like who is, um, who's doing what, you know, how much effort are people putting into it? And I think that a major thing that I put into um, booking is I over communicate and I'll be like, here's a freaking spreadsheet. Here's a thousand emails. You know, I over communicate for sure, for sure. And then people will be like, yep. And I'll be like, what do you mean? Yep. Like, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But, you know, it's, um, I don't know. I think that, I think that it's really, I'm really excited to be in a place in my life where I'm not focused on, focused on that anymore. And it's because I have a lot of really amazing, awesome men in my life who are my great friends, who I trust, you know, and um, yeah, and it's, it's just changed things for me. I'm, I'm so grateful to be an adult. <laughs> get to make choices and choose what I do with my life and choose who I spend my time with and yeah I, it, it was grateful for me to see you with Taylor Sheen as well mm -hmm. she's she's fantastic yeah she's a really good friend of mine I love her to bits um we're gonna go play a bunch of shows together in Arizona later this month and I'm very excited to see her. She just left. She was just staying at my house last week, I believe. She comes out to Nashville sometimes and 
love Taylor Cushing. <laughs> and who does doesn't? She's she's fantastic. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Are, are there any art artists that you'd like to collaborate with or like 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 do do you co-write songs? Yeah, I do. I haven't in a while. I've been thinking about that a lot lately. Um because um I love co-writing. I love co-writing. Um uh I have I don't know. Um but I haven't I haven't been in a big writing space in the last while. Um I think I've just been, you know, I live in Nashville. I work five jobs. I'm just hustling. And um I don't spend a lot of time. I think that when I write music, first first it takes a lot of solitude and um I don't get a I get I don't get enough time for solitude. Um but there are so many incredible musicians out here. Um and I don't know I don't know. I don't I don't usually Okay, I'll say one thing. I have, I really, one thing I've been really into for the last while is writing duets, like cheesy country duets. In particular, um, I wrote a couple of uh, like awful Christmas song, uh, Christmas songs a couple of years ago and um you know it was a situation where i hate christmas music i got to say like i try not to have a lot of hate in my heart but i do and it's for christmas music i can't stand it and there was one year where my partner i was like worried i was going to you know um i didn't have any money to get her a christmas present and i was just like man i'm going to fuck up christmas again this year and she was like hey you don't need to get me anything i don't need any presents i just want you to write me a christmas song and i was like i love you but i'm not going to do that not that and what ended up happening was i started having these stress dreams about ruining christmas and um and i would wake up it happened twice i woke up singing a christmas song like writing it as i would um i literally woke up belting out a chorus to a christmas song that i had just like made up in my sleep and um and one of them is called christmas in a gas station and then the other one um is a duet and i wrote it i ended up finishing it i wrote it with a friend of mine named um connor whitney in montreal um, who's another great country artist, but I really, um, I finished it and wrote it for one of my favorite contemporary country artists who is um, big fancy in the shitty cowboys. And um, it's a song about two lonely, miserable, old alcoholics who meet in a dive bar on Christmas Eve and are negotiating whether or not they should go home with each other because you shouldn't be alone on christmas supposedly but
but they don't like each other. And so it's just sort of a back and forth conversation between two people who don't like each other talking about maybe we should go have a one night stand just because it's Christmas Eve. And then in the end, they decide they actually don't want to. (laughs) (laughs) But yeah, um, I really like, yeah, I really like, I like those old, you know, like um, anything Loretta Lynn and Conway Twitty did, you know, um, together, that is some of my favorite stuff. Um, You know, of course, like there's the John Prine album of duets um, that are amazing. And he did so many duets with so many different incredible artists. Um, um, And I take a lot of inspiration from those um and of course you know george and tammy yeah and that's um that's sort of what i i want in my future i want to have some solid nasty country duets you know i mean that i mean george george and tammy for 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 example i mean the, the 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 reality versus i'm not sure if you saw the show at all um but but the show was amazing and it yeah. and it just explored how you know these these two artists these two amazing artists were so self-destructive but when mm-hmm. they came together they made something beautiful Yes, and also the saddest country music. Yes, of all time. I feel of so feeling about this. Yeah, <laughs> I could go on about that forever, and I think that um, I just think that sad. I think that is what country music brings to the table. Is, in particularly, what Tammy Winnett and George Jones were doing, but um, is, I think that sad music has such an important place in our life, our lives. I think it is a really important tool. Music is a really important tool to access emotions that we, for whatever reason, are not able to access. Um, And I think that, and we do that all the time, like, like, with our hype songs, you know, our hype playlists and, um, you know, to like get into a mood, we listen to music. And I think that it's so interesting how music lives in this different part of our brain than other information, you know, and the way that we, the way that a sound or a song can just instigate a feeling that we weren't even wasn't even on our radar, you know, um, and those two made the most devastating music, especially Tammy Winnett. And part of that, I, you know, a couple of years ago, I was driving, I was driving down the road and I was listening to Stand By Your Man. And, you know, I was just listening to it over and over again it was like on a small playlist I had or something and I was just going back and forth to work and I'd listened to it like a thousand times and wasn't really thinking anything of it and then it just hit me how devastating that song is and I just started sobbing in my car I was just like holy shit 
like Tammy is talking about experiencing sexism and what it feels like and it's devastating and this is before i'd seen them the show or mm. listen to a lot of stuff really about her life you know um and you know i didn't know all that stuff about like her medical trauma and and you know the way that she was treated and just but of course and i think that she got a lot of flack in her life um because of um you know second wave feminists being like you're you're bringing us down you know stand by your man is a like how dare you and and not getting it that she is like it is just as important to say you don't have to stand by your man and give us the goodbye earl you know goodbye earl best one of the, my favorite songs i don't care how many times people sing that at karaoke it's one of my favorite songs it's my root you know shout out to the chicks and that is that has its place and it is a really important thing and a lot of my music is more in that um that genre of you don't need to stand by your man you can goodbye earl your man if you will um but it is also just as important to have a voice for the experience of what it is like to live in a world and in a culture where you just have to stand by your man and you just have to you you just have to continue to be married and you have to just you know smile and do the dishes and make dinner and have the babies and do exactly what Tammy Wynette did and so many other women in that time period did and still today are so many women are expected to do that i mean i mean i live in a state right now where i like we don't have abortion rights most of the country we don't have abortion rights anymore like we're sliding backwards so fast and um and i think that it is so important to have these devastating songs like stand by your man that are about what it is like to to have to live like that because it's not it's not a vintage perspective really it's a very culturally relevant it's a contemporary like um situation i mean so, i mean when we saw i mean this is from outside of the us in in the in the uk and we could see what what was happening because the repeal of the, of the abortion act we like but they're going back not just decades but centuries and it's like, why are they doing that? Yeah. And, and now, uh, he who cannot be, be named is coming back for 2024. It's like, did you not see what he did before? Yeah. Uh, yeah. Ah, uh, yeah. I don't know. It's, um, it's horrifying. Yeah. Um, and you know it's part of a bigger wave of right-wing extremism you know um coming over the world um, a lot pardon me i said it is right-wing extremism and nationalism you, you can see it's not limited to the united states the the uk with brex brexit and we're, we are still suffering 
suffering from the effects of that. Our biggest trading partner is is Europe, and we we'll, and we were like, no, we're going to give up all of that. I was like, well, why? And now you've got Austria, Belgium, the Netherlands just voted in a right right wing government. Uh, Germany, one of its foremost spy masters, has now been revealed as being extreme right wing, and is now under under suspicion of being so loose with all the right wing extremist groups that he let go while he was in power. Yeah. It's a scary place to be, and uh, that's why I don't mean to be so flippant about it, but that's why we need music, music like yours, that helps us to escape. <laughs> yeah, I also think that it is a it's a place where um, people can relate in a way that they, you know, I think a big problem is that we can't see each other and we can't empathize with each other and we do we no longer speak the same language yeah um i know that when i mean i really try and understand people that are very different have very different uh mindset from me because i want to understand not understand like i see how you could feel that way when it's like a uh, horrible oppressive right wing um thing um perspective uh what i try and understand is like how do people get there how do people cuz i i don't know what it's like to genuinely um have no disregard for a stranger's well-being i don't know what it's like to not care if somebody lives or dies just because i don't know who they are or because they're different from me. That's not my understanding, you know? Um, and I I don't know how to empathize with that. Um, and so I try to understand how do people get there because like, where can that be prevented? Um, and um, I think that there's a really interesting, uh, a really, really incredible podcast you probably heard of dolly parton's america um and that one really uh helped put in a lot of things into perspective for me at least about how music can really have an impact um and you know i um i have had experiences where people you know I had one one time I was visiting family in Arizona and they my family they're all democrats well the ones that we speak to are democrats but um they brought me over to they're like we're going to go over to your neighbor's house for drinks we go over there and they have a trump sign in their front window and um they have a portrait of Donald Trump in their house I was like I stopped breathing. I was like, what am I doing in here? Like I had never been into a Trump supporters house, you know? Um, and this was, this was years ago. This was in 2019 and I was scared and I was like, I don't understand 
and my uncle was like, oh, we just don't talk about politics with them. They're our old friends, but we just don't talk about it. And I was like, how do you not talk about it? You know, and um, all I could do uh, to make this guy feel small <laughs> was because I was terrified. And he was like, um, he was like, oh, I'm something of a musician myself. It's on my bucket list to record albums to record an album one day. And I was like, I've recorded five albums. I've been a touring musician for the last 10 years. I <laughs> just like listed all of my musical accomplishments. Meanwhile, all the albums I had had, most of them were like recorded in somebody's bathroom or basement on a laptop and they were absolute shit. And when I'm a touring musician, I sleep in a car with four other people and three dogs, you know, like it's a horrible life. <laughs> Um, but he felt, you know, I could see that he was intimidated and it made me feel a little stronger. And then he later on called me and, or called my uncle to contact me and told me that he was so incredibly moved by my music that he looked it up, he listened to it and he was so moved and he thought that I was so talented and he just loved it so much. And he, and please let him know when I'm coming back to town to play a show you know, which I obviously, like, I, I would never invite him to a show because especially in Arizona, my friends and my fans are so incredibly, amazingly, radically left. And I wouldn't feel safe inviting them. But I do think that what music offers is a perspective and also that it can hit a place in our minds that is not on the intellectual side but is on the emotional side and that is really important i think that that is where we are going to come back together as a separated people is through empathy and um i know that music gets us in this other place in our mind because um you know, my grandma has, she can't speak anymore. She lost her ability to speak quite a long time ago. But her sisters will start singing a song from her childhood. And she can sing along. You know, like I've just heard her sing a whole entire song when this woman can't say hi. You know, yeah. she can't, she can't say I love you. You know, she can say like, huh, some of the time. But couldn't speak and she can sing an entire song and um and I know that I can be in one mood and a song can like completely change things for me and that's um that's why I put out that album notes on a crisis um I wanted to um you know I was really in a place I really didn't see music as an important part of activism or you know, I've always really loved music and it's always been really important to me. But for a really long time growing up, I viewed art as like an excessive sort of play thing, uh, like a, a hobby that is not that important and isn't actually contributing to the change that we need to see in the world, you know. Um, and that's completely changed for me. Um, but I. Um, I made this album, I put it together because, um, I, you know, I had this one song called A Clop and I 
played it at a show um one time and this woman cried very very like very hard um and she told me how much it meant to her and um her friend um her best friend and her would play that song to each other i guess um when they were feeling down and um she ended up um well yeah she ended up passing away and um i thought a lot about how much music can be a tool to grieve Mm. and you know that song that a, a cloth is about mutual aid in community but also about you know caring and what it's like to um navigate a relationship that has so much trauma in it like with like uh as people who have ptsd and you know and um and i think that it's really important to give space to grieving and crying and it's really important to be able to access that emotion and like let our bodies physically um experience emotions um and i use music as a tool for that and so what i wanted to do with that album was sort of offer this morning album about like to you know if for if people like it and they like to like have it's a like it's a sad album every song on that album is in one way or another about uh death and and also it's about you know i put it out after a few years of um living through the fentanyl crisis um which you know uh hit vancouver really hard it's hit the world really hard um but uh you know i was a frontline worker um in the downtown east side of vancouver for most of my 20s and um you know i was at work i was working when the overdoses went from you know we've had like there's been eight overdoses in the city this week that's that's pretty bad to there's been 36 overdoses in the city in the last hour and people you know that like them being like hundreds a day and just it the way like it just went like that so fast and what that did to the city well to the city what's what that's done to our generation what's that's what's that's done to people um who are losing so many people in their lives um and how you know i wrote that album and put it together to talk about um what it's like to be in relation to each other and to love in in the time of a crisis like this and what it's like to have relationships with people when the fear of death is constantly lingering in this way you know i've lost a lot of friends um people that i love uh, i've responded to probably a hundred overdoses personally you know and um you know one of the songs on that album is 
is specifically about trying to meet up with somebody to have a conversation and trying I wrote it I was like this I was trying to schedule having like a important relationship process time on a day that I hadn't responded to an overdose and I couldn't schedule it because I, it was every day you know wow. and um and so it's like yeah it's about how that um and specifically how the fentanyl crisis has impacted um us but I also think that it can be I just think it's important to have sad music I guess that's what I'm saying and every every song you know when I like the thing about music is like you put it out there and it belongs to the person who's listening to it like the story it doesn't matter what your intention is behind it it doesn't matter what the story really was it is the story is now as it is interpreted by the person listening to it period that's what it means it's no longer in our control so i i hope my hope is that people can find meaning from it for whatever reason because we're always going to continue to have crises and we're always going to continue to have mass deaths, you know, yeah. and fear. Yeah. And it's available for free on Bandcamp, by the way. <laughs> it's for free. It's for free. That was, I wanted people to just have a thing, you know. Well, not, I, I was like, I'm not trying to capitalize on our fear. <laughs> and I've I've heard it about about the fentanyl crisis from from artists like uh, Willie Carlisle and the song Cheap Cocaine, and when when I've seen 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 him in the UK, he does go on about how many souls have been lost to the the, the fentanyl crisis as well, and how many artists and friends are that he's lost as well. Um, I don't think it's impacted on us so much in the uk um but we've had our own different price price crisis in instead uh, i think as you said muse music can make you laugh music can make you cry music transports you to that time and place and can hit you in ways that you're not expecting and you and you're not looking to 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 have that wave of emotion come come over you um for you as an art artist are there any particular songs that you've rewritten written so so far that you you think yeah that's that's me that if it, there was only one song that that would say this is danny ray clark this is that song Mm. that's a really good question Oof, it's hard to pick one um i think i have i think i have two favorites can i tell you two yes because <laughs> it's so different um i think that firstly i think that there's a song it's called cottonwood um and we are gonna put it on a new album, but I wrote it years ago and it's out there on an album that I made with a band. Um, I had a band called Ornery um, and we have an album on Bandcamp 
and Spotify called Den of Arms. And, but it's a terribly recorded album. Like, I don't like to tell people about it because I love that band, love that band, but um, the recordings are trash. And we just, you know, we didn't have any money to do a nice recording. We recorded it in somebody's basement. Like, you know, we're punks. That's what we did. But I actually don't make punk music. You know, I make country music and I, I do want it to like come out clearly. Um, so I don't recommend listening to that album. But if you got to hear the song before the new <laughs> album comes out, it's called Conwood. And um, that is probably how I feel um, musically that I have communicated the best and or that I have that's not really making any sense um I feel that um uh that is that, that like I think that when I think about how I sound and how I believe that I sound and how I believe that I communicate it would be that song um alternatively uh I have another song called Leaving Coeur and it is also on that album, but also going to be re-recorded on the new album. Um, and it is a long murder ballad um, that is specifically about, um, you know, some sort of what I was talking about before about, well, in particularly it's about a white supremacist compound um that used to be in north idaho um it was the largest running largest longest running uh white supremacist compound in united states history until then um i think it disbanded in 2001 it was called the church no i can't i'm not going to say what it was called because i can't remember exactly um and um they had this compound it was about an hour south of the canadian border very close to where my grandma lives and my grandma who lives in north idaho she lives in um on the same property that she was born on um she's 90 about 90 now and um so i always grew up hearing about this and this place and um I was doing a lot of research into different white supremacist groups um, and thinking a lot about the role that heterosexual white women played in Donald Trump's election. And because I was, you know, it was huge. Uh, and it was something I really didn't understand because I was like, how how are all these women going against each other and their own interests? And I thought a lot about how growing up, I had witnessed a lot of the straight women that raised me um, maintain their alliances with men that they didn't really like or respect because that's just what you do, or maybe for financial reasons, you know? Um, and thought about that a lot and I just sort of I also thought about you know the women that grow up in these communities and who marry into these communities and thought about 
you know, like I said, I, I was raised also by a lot of men in a traditional Czech household and, um, but like Czech men who were very sexist and didn't like women very much. And, um, how did that impact me and how did it impact me to like hear a lot of hateful words growing up and, um, to learn from these adult men, the way that I, women should be treated, you know, the, what is normal, what is a normal way for a woman to be treated? Um, and so, you know, when I started, as I got a little older and God forbid, started fucking dating men, part of my language, I can't believe I'm bringing that up, but they treated me like garbage. And I was like, yeah, that's the way it's supposed to be. I just thought that was normal and hated it, but also, you know, hated myself and whatever. Um, and so I thought a lot about that. And also in my research of these different groups, I was finding this pattern where the leaders of white supremacist organizations are often murdered by their wives and children. And like, it's just a pat, like it keeps on happening and often in their sleep, you know? Yeah. And so I, kind of put all those thoughts together and wrote a story from the perspective of a woman who is born into this community and she finds herself married into it as well and it's the only the only thing that she's ever known and is like growing up in this hateful place and you know she says you've put your hand on our son one too many times and this is her breaking point you know um and it's about her exit strategy, um, which is that she's going to kill her husband. Sorry to spoiler alert. You know, it's a murder ballad. Um, and, you know, I like to prefix it by saying, you know, this is a goodbye Earl style murder ballad. Um, not in that you're going to be singing it at a karaoke bar in the future. Um, but just in that, you know, it involves a lot of... Um, violence against women and it could be triggering one second yeah okay um and uh yeah and that that song i think really um is sort of a showcase of multiple like a, a reoccurring theme um you know i think that i do write a lot of love songs i suppose um and they're either queer love songs or they're um a critical analysis of heterosexual dynamics that i witness and um so yeah the 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 songs that are you know sound like love songs between a man and a woman are usually just a critical analysis and sort of a portrait of something that what of what I imagine it would be like to be straight, essentially. <laughs> uh, on that happy note, uh, you've got to got a tour coming 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 up, and uh, you've got the album that you're going to be doing in Arizona. What else can we expect from you in the future? Oh, that's a really good question. I guess we're just going to have to wait and see. You know. Um, I am, I'm, you know, like I, I'm at a point in my life where I would really like to, um, 
I would like to have the stability that being a musician does not offer. Um, I want to settle down and start a family, you know, that's like a goal of mine. Um, and being a musician simply is not lucrative enough to, um, you know, have regular meals, let alone, you know, be housed, yeah. you know, housing. Um, and I'm really, you know, I've lived a lot of my life just, you know, I'll get a job and I'll be like, cool, I'm good. I'm working. And I, you know, 10 minutes into it, I'm like, I'm going to just think about planning another tour. And then I plan a really long tour and then I quit my job and I bail on my housing and I, I'm just like hit the road. And, um, right now I'm learning how to tour without losing my housing and my jobs or just quitting them. Um, but I also have, you know, five jobs and I might quit one of them, you know, for this tour <laughs> because I'm sick of it. But I really, the thing is that I love being on tour. I love playing music. I don't like these stupid jobs. Yeah. I do, I do for a hot second, for a hot second. Like I have, I have some, some jobs that I really love. Like I work in part of the reason I moved to Nashville is because I love working in venues and I love being a part of the production. Um, and that is really fun. And I work in a few different venues that I really love. And, um, but, um, but I think that I'm going to have to keep, if I, um, when this album comes out that I'm working really hard on, um, and there's going to be a lot of people that are working really hard on it. I think that it deserves a few tours, you know? And then, you know, who knows what happens after that? Maybe it's like, that's the end. Show's over, you know? And then I go move into a house and keep it or something. But um, uh, I don't, I don't know. Who knows what the future holds? You know, like I thought that in 2020, I, you know, I had an incredible tour book that was three months long and it was like huge shows, three months of like six shows a week across the US and Canada. It was a big deal, you know, playing with some incredible artists that were my heroes canceled. You know, you never know what's going to happen. And, you know, you, we used to be able to, sell music and now we can't you know you just um these things really impact the future of art you know um i think that if we didn't have spotify you know and we were just still just stealing music on napster like we'd be fine <laughs> you know but um but i, I used to think that I remember when I was young and I used to like pirate music on the internet and every time I'd hear a musician complaining about it, I'd be like, Oh, whatever. You're super rich. Like I'm going to steal your music. I don't care. And now that I'm a musician trying to eat on a regular basis with my music on Spotify and it has to be on Spotify because you're yeah. not a serious artist if it's not. Yeah. Um, then yeah it's like this like the future of music is 
is really in a detrimental state because um if people cannot continue to write music produce music and eat and be housed as well then we can't continue to create music you know and that means that the future of music is in is in jeopardy i think um because also the, you know the other thing is the only way to to have to be able to keep doing it is to be on tour all the time and it's not easy to be on tour you know it's awesome it's really really fun and i love it but a lot of people who are incredibly talented skilled musicians can't handle it you know um i think that i think that because i you know was raised in a really sketchy household without a lot of stability and then like grew up in a punk community and was a really sketchy teenager that's why i'm good at touring you know and i'm grateful for those experiences because i'm like hell yeah i can sleep in a car i can sleep on a random person's couch yes but most people can't do that all the time most people can't live off of gas station food or no food <laughs> all the time, <laughs> you know and so yeah it's 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 tough for people and i've seen a lot of amazing musicians like amazing musicians quit to get stability and it's fair um but it's sad is there one piece of advice that you would have given yourself as a younger artist that you wish mm. you'd heard oh that's a really good question Wow. Um, I would it be? I don't know because I don't know that I would change. I wouldn't. I wouldn't want to change anything now that I think about it. Like I don't want. I wouldn't really want anything to be that different because I wouldn't be where I am now, and I'm happy right now. Um, but. I would maybe say, you know, write the song and like ditch that relationship. <laughs> you know, just like <laughs> mine the relationships for the songs as quickly as you can and get out of there because I wasted a lot of time um, on, you know, on, on people that were not, I wasn't really meant to be with. But I have, you know, spent a lot of time with people that I was meant to spend time with in, in my past. And that's all. I think it's just that like, you know, you're only in your twenties for so long. That's what I would say. Fantastic. But then again, I wouldn't have, but then I wouldn't be this, the person that I am, you know, and I wouldn't have the songs that I have. So I think that's it. I mean, you know what else I would say? I think that what I would have, the advice I would have given to my younger self is to learn how to book a tour and to book shows myself. 
um, a long time ago because I relied on other people for a really long time. And that meant that I didn't have control in where I was going and what I was doing with my life. And I waited around, you know, I'm like, I want to be in the United States. I want to be in the Southern United States. And I've always known that. Um, but I played in bands with other people in Canada, you know, great friends, people I love, but also folks who, who didn't want to go to the United States. So we would, they would book tours in the same area for a long time. And I was like ready to leave, but I, I kept postponing it because I'd have another tour coming up. And if it wasn't for that tour, I wouldn't be playing music because I didn't know how to book my own shows. And then, you know, I finally had a breaking point in 2019 or so. And I was like, this band is going to the United States and we're getting visas and we're going to be on tour for three months and we're going to do everything the way that I wanted to do. And I worked my ass off and built the most beautiful tour of all time. It was canceled, but I learned how to book a tour. And now I book tours for other people. Loretta, sorry, my dog is scratching at the door and she's not allowed to go out right now. Um, uh, but yeah, I book, I, I'm really a lot more confident in it. And it means that I get to choose where I go and I have so much more independence and um I used to be afraid of booking shows because I be it's kind of like writing a cover letter like saying hey I'm amazing and you should let me play at your venue or I mean you should be so lucky as to be graced with my music at your venue you're welcome that I contacted you like you may have me as an artist, you know, it's, it's like, it's disgust. It feels disgusting. Um, but it's, it's important. It's necessary and you've got to get over it and just do it. It's awkward asking to play shows. It's super awkward. Um, but it's also awkward singing songs that are, you, you know, your diary and to a bunch of strangers. That's awkward and weird too. It's all awkward and weird. It's art, you know? Um, Another thing that really helps me when I'm performing is wearing, um, like dressing in a way that I would not dress day to, in my day to day. It's kind of like having a costume or like an armor on. Yeah. Um, and, you know, I have this very like high femme vintage persona sort of uh, when I perform um, because I am thinking about all of the women in Tammy Winnett's time um, who were not out and who were listening to country music on the radio and who were like in a relationship with another queer or they were pining for some woman who didn't know they existed or whatever. And I like to think that these really old dresses that I wear on stage were once worn by somebody who wasn't able to go out publicly and say, I'm a homo, <laughs> you know, and I love my wife <laughs> or whatever. Um, but that, yeah, I think all those things, I think it's just like the independence and the confidence, which obviously it takes time, but it's just, sometimes you got to get over that awkwardness and just know that it's going to, you're going to get rejected all the time. And that's just a major part of 
a part of it. When you're booking a tour, you send out 30 emails and you receive two emails back. That's how it is. It's just a lot of work. Um, when can we be lucky enough to have you grace our shores? In, in England? In England. Um, I honestly, I've heard that everything I've heard is that, uh, the UK creates their artists significantly better than the United States and Canada. Um, and folks get paid a lot more and they get, you know, put up in hotels and stuff like that. Uh, we don't usually get that, um, here. Um, I would love to, I, um, I think that um, uh, probably after the album has been made and, you know, I have got, I've got family in Ireland and I, you know, I'm Czech. I've got family in, in Prague. Um, I haven't been back to the United, to, to Europe uh, since I was about 19 or 20. Um, and I used to go all the time and I, just kept getting in so much trouble over there. So I stopped going. <laughs> <laughs> um, but um, no, I would, I would really love to, it's a big dream. I also would really love to, I'd really love to tour Ireland. Um, and, um, but I have no idea when, you know, I book a lot of tours in the United States and I don't even know where to begin of how to book in 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 england or europe in general so if there's any bookers out there or any other queer country artists or country artists or folk artists or european americana artists or whatever the genre you know uh interested in helping me plan a european tour or collaborating please reach out i love collaborating with other artists on events it's a passion of mine. Danny Ray Clark, thank you so, so much for being on the show and just giving us this opportunity and insight into you and your music. Thanks so much for having me. It's, um, I, you know, I can't believe somebody from Europe was listening to my music. So thank you. <laughs>